we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of Urgency of Change. Each weekly episode in this season of the Krishnamurti podcast is based on a major theme of his talks, such as freedom, authority, beauty and meditation. Extracts from our archives have been carefully selected to represent Krishnamurti's different approaches to each of these universal and timelessly relevant themes. This week's theme is self-knowledge. Upcoming themes are anger, God and jealousy. This podcast is brought to you by Krishnamurti Foundation Trust, based at Brockwood Park in the UK. For more information about activities and programmes at Brockwood, such as the Krishnamurti Retreat Centre, Brockwood Park School, and more about the Foundation, please visit our website at kfoundation.org. You can also find our daily quotes and videos on Instagram and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. This week's podcast has six sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's first question and answer meeting in Sanan, 1980, titled, What is Self-Knowledge? What is self-knowledge? Let's examine that first. What is self-knowledge? That is, the ancient Greeks and the ancient Hindus talked about knowing yourself. It's as old as the hills that Socrates and others in, in, in Greece and in India talked about knowing yourself. What does it mean to know yourself? Can you ever know yourself? I'm, please, I'm exploring together. You are doing this together. What is the self and you must know about it. You understand my question? What is this self that apparently it is necessary to know it? Now, what do we mean by the word know? Sorry to be so careful about this, otherwise we shall be misleading each other if we do not understand the words. What do we mean by know? I know 
start was I've been there for 22 years. I know you because I've seen you here for 20 years or more. I don't know why, but you are there and I'm here. And when we say I know, you mean, we mean by that not only recognition, but also the remembrance of the face, the name, right? Which means recognition, remembrance, and association, or rather, association, remembrance, which is, I met you yesterday, I've recognized you today, that is the memory operating. So when I say I know, it is the past expressing itself in the present. I hope you are following all this. Does it interest you all this? So the past is the movement of knowledge. Right? I study, go to college, one goes to school, college, university, acquire a great deal of information. Then I say I'm a chemist or a physicist and so on, so on. So we say, when we say I must, one must know oneself, do you come to that knowledge about the self afresh or do you approach it already having knowledge about it? You see the difference? You understand my question? Oh, goodness. Am I making it difficult? No. That is, I want to know myself. Do I approach myself through the knowledge I've acquired, which is I've studied psychology, I've been to psychotherapists, and I've read a great deal, and I approach the understanding of the self through the knowledge I've acquired. Bene? Or do I come to it without all the previous accumulation knowledge about oneself, right? You understand the question? We have explained what is desire, what is will, and saying, and when we say I must know about myself, I am already acquainted with myself. And so this acquaintance, this knowledge, 
dictates how I have observed myself. Right? This is very important if you want to go into this carefully. So I, having previous knowledge about myself, I use that knowledge to understand myself, which becomes silly. Right? It's absurd. Which is, I've understood about myself from the knowledge of others. Freud, Jung, uh, all the rest of it. The modern psychologists and so on. So, can I, please listen, can I put aside all that knowledge because I am looking at myself through other people's eyes. Therefore, can I put all that aside and look at myself afresh, anew? The second extract is from the fifth discussion in Sanan, 1977, titled Observing Oneself in Relationship. We said self-knowledge, knowing oneself, must begin knowing the world outside, knowing what is happening in the world politically, religiously, economically, socially, racially, the class differences, the totalitarian states, leftist, right and centre, all that you must observe, one must observe. It is not possible to observe if one is prejudiced. That's very simple and very clear. If I stick to my nationality, to my belief, to my race and say, I'm I cannot possibly investigate, explore, observe the world. So, through the observation of what is taking place outside of each human being, without observing what is going on around us, socially, morally, religiously and so on, merely to investigate oneself leads to insanity. Because you have there is the object very clearly to be observed what's going on. From there you begin. Move from the outer to the inner. Not the inner and then the outer. You can deceive yourself enormously if you begin with yourself. Whereas if you begin, if one begins from the outer, then goes deeply within oneself, then you will see there is no difference between the outer and the inner. It may be like the sea, the ebb and flow, going out and coming in, all the time. Now to observe oneself, we said, one must be free to look, 
freedom implies freedom from prejudice, belief, dogma, conclusions, so that you can observe yourself. Otherwise, you, you, will, you will see what you want to see, or deny what you want to, uh, what you see. Right? So to observe, there must be freedom. That's simple, right? Now, can we do this as we are talking? Can we, wanting to understand the extraordinary complex structure and the nature of the self, the me, to observe that structure and that nature of this self without any conclusion. If that is very difficult, one cannot do that, then you have blocked yourself. Right? That is simple. Whereas if one is really in, involved in it, because what one is, the society, the religions, all that is the result. If you are envious, greedy, seeking power, position, you create a society which will bring about what you greed, power, position, and all the rest of it. So, how does one, is it possible to observe oneself without any distortion? I will say, please follow it step by step. We say it is possible only when there is no direction, when there is no motive, because the motive dictates the direction and distorts the observation. Right? That's clear. Then you will say, how can I observe myself without a motive? Because I, I am full of motives. Motives being reward and punishment, essentially. Isn't it? So, can one look at oneself freely without this tremendous tradition of man of seeking reward and avoiding punishment, but just to be free to look? Right? Let's do this as we are talking. And in observing, one of the most fundamental questions is what is the relationship between two between human beings? Relationship. Man, woman, husband, wife, mother and baby, and so on. Because if our relationship is not Correct. I'm using the word correct in the English sense, actual, truthful, right. Then we create a society, either a society which is so disintegrating, which is so appalling, or a world of totalitarianism. We create it. And accept it. We'll go into that. Let's leave it for the moment. 
So, it's very important to understand relationship, right? Relationship implies the meaning of the word means to be related, actually to be related, to be in contact, to have empathy, sympathy, uh, a sense of sensitivity that understands each other completely, not partially. So, as most human beings have not that relationship at all, their relationship is based on conflict. How does this conflict arise? You follow? Please, this is important if you will go into it with me, together into this, because that's our life is involved. Don't let's waste our life. We have got only this life good enough. What the future life, or maybe it doesn't matter. What we are now, if we don't change, what we are will continue in a different form and go on. I won't go into that. So it's very important to understand this question of relationship. Because part, that's part of self knowledge, part of knowing oneself. Through relationship, which is the which is the outside, you can then move from the, from the understanding of relationship, move in, inwardly. So it's important to understand relationship, which is, are we related at all to anything? Nature, to each other, private, uh, intimate relationship, sexual, mother and the baby, and so on, relationship. Now, what is this relationship based on? Please follow it for yourself. You have your husband, you have got your girlfriend or boyfriend, mother with a baby, all that, part of our life. So please follow this, if you will, be serious enough for once in your life. What is this relationship based on? Is it two entities, two human beings, deeply concerned with themselves, right? Deeply occupied with their own ambitions, with their own worries, with their own anxieties, uncertainties, confusion. These two people meet, boy and a girl, and so on and so on. And then there's all the problem of sex. And in this relationship, because each is separate inwardly, right? There is conflict, obviously. Right? Can we go on with it? So, conflict becomes inevitable when each one of us is occupied so entirely with himself. Right? Which we are. 
and we need to be, <coughs> in exploring this, tremendously honest. Otherwise, it hasn't, the game is not worth playing. Now, the problem is, can this relationship exist without effort, without this constant strife between, me- between human beings, and what then is that relationship in which there is no conflict at all? You So why does this conflict exist first? It seems that this conflict exists because each one is centred within himself. From himself he goes out, right? From himself he acts. From himself he says, I love you. But the centre is the me, the self. Right? This is clear, isn't it? This is, we are describing what is very obvious. Now, the question is, can that centre be understood and dissolved? Otherwise, life, which is relationship, must inevitably be a series of incidents and conflicts. That's clear. So we are asking, can this centre be understood, watched, see the nature of it, the structure of it, and end it. Not verbally, but actually end it. Right? That's our question. Therefore, I must, one must observe freely the nature and the structure of the Self. Right? The third extract is from the third talk at Brockwood Park in 1970, titled We Look at Ourselves with Knowledge. See first how the mind accumulates knowledge. Why it accumulates, where it is necessary, where it becomes an impediment to freedom. To do anything one must have knowledge, driving a car, speaking a language, doing a technological job. You must have abundance of knowledge. The more efficient, the more objective, the more impersonal, the better. Knowledge is necessary. But a mind that is full of this information as knowledge, can that mind ever be free? Or must it always carry this knowledge, which is always the past? And carrying this past, this knowledge, 
and meeting the present with that knowledge. And hence conflict. I met you yesterday, you flattered me or insulted me, I have the image of you, which is part of this knowledge. This knowledge which is the past, with that knowledge I meet you today, which is the image I have built about you today, and therefore there is conflict between you and me as the observer, and hence there is conflict between you and me. This is simple enough, right? So the observer is the reservoir of knowledge. No? No, please discover this. More fun. The observer, therefore, is the past. He is the sensor, the entity that has accumulated knowledge, and from that knowledge he judges, he evaluates. And he is doing exactly the same with regard to himself. He has acquired knowledge about himself through psychologists, and he has learnt what he is or he thinks he has learnt about himself, and with that knowledge he looks at himself. He doesn't look at himself with fresh eyes. He says, I know, I have seen myself, it's rather ugly. Parts of it are extraordinarily nice, but the other parts are rather terrible. Is already judged, and his judgment is based on the past, which is his knowledge about himself. Therefore, he never discovers anything new about himself. Because the observer is different from the thing observed which he calls himself. And that's what we are doing all the time in all relationships, mechanical relationship or human relationship, relationship with the machine or relationship with another. 
all based on the desire to find out a place where he can be completely secure, certain. And he now has sought and found security in knowledge. And the keeper of this knowledge is the observer, the sensor, the thinker, the experiencer. And the observer is always watching, as being different from the thing observed. He watch, the observer analyzes himself, or is analyzed by, by the professional, who himself needs analyzing, and this game goes on being played. So one asks, can one look at this whole movement of life without the burden of the past? And that's what we are all trying to do, aren't we? We want to find new expressions, if you are an artist. No one objective, objective, you know, you play with that game forever and ever. You want to write new books, new way of looking at life, new way of living, revolt against the old. and fall into the trap of the new, which is the reaction to the old. So one sees that intelligence doesn't lie in the hands of the observer, and it is only when the mind is free, free to learn, and learning is not the accumulation of knowledge, on the contrary, Learning is a movement. And the accumulation of knowledge is static. You may add to it, but it, the, the core of it is static. 
and from this static state one functions, one lives, one uh, paints, one writes, one uh, does all the mischief in the world. And you call that freedom. So can the mind be free of the known? You know, this is really quite an extraordinary question if you ask it. Not merely intellectually, but really very, very, very deeply to find out whether the mind can ever be free from the known. Otherwise there is no creation, you follow? Otherwise there is nothing new. There is nothing new under the sun, then. It is always reformation of the reformed. So one has to find out why this division between the observer and the observed exists, and whether the mind the possibility of a mind going beyond this division, which means the possibility of being free from the known to function in, at a different dimension altogether, which is intelligence which will use knowledge when necessary and be free of knowledge. So intelligence implies freedom, not what one wants to do, which is so immature and childish. Freedom implies the cessation of all conflict, and that comes to an end only when the observer is the observed, but then there is no division. After all, this exists when there is love, isn't there? You know, that word is so terribly loaded, like God, one hesitates to use that word, because it's associated with pleasure, with sex, and with uh, fear, with jealousy, with dependency, with acquisitiveness and all the rest of it. A mind that is not free does not know what love means. It may know pleasure, and hence know what fear is. But fear and pleasure Fear and desire, or pleasure, certainly, are not what is called love, and that can only come into being when, they, when there is real freedom from the past. And is that ever possible? 
You know, man has sought this out in different ways. To be free from the transiency of knowledge. I don't know if you follow all this. And so he has always sought something beyond knowledge, beyond thought. Thought is the response of knowledge. And so he has created an image called God. All the all the absurdities that arise around that. But to find out if there is something that is beyond the image of thought. When there must be freedom from all fear. The fourth extract is from the third question and answer meeting in Sanan, 1981, titled Reading the Book of Oneself. I think it is fairly obvious that we, human beings, are the history of mankind. Right? In us, is the totality of all human psychological knowledge. The story of mankind, which are wars, tears, bloodshed, pain, grief, laughter, agony, anxiety, loneliness, sorrow, all that is part of me. I am that. I am the story of all that. Right? The book of history is me, not the kings and part of the kings too. I am all that. Now. Can I read that book, which is me, do I have to read it page by page, chapter by chapter, not missing a single line, till I come to the end of the book? you understand my question? I am the story of all mankind. That's fairly simple. To see that even intellectually, right? Do I see that intellectually? That I am the story of all mankind. All mankind suffers, has shed tears, laughter, imitation, conformity, every sense of indignity. Vulgarity, 
superficiality. I'm all that. Otherwise, I wouldn't elect the politicians as they are. Right? So I'm all that, including the priest and the gods that thoughts had invented. I'm all that. Now, that book is me. Have I to read page by page? Or can I understand that whole book with one glance, with one single look? You understand the two questions? We are saying it's impossible to read that book page by page, chapter by chapter, that will take you all your life. Because all your life is a period of time. During that time, you are adding more and more, or taking away little by little. But you are gathering more and more. So the book can never be read page by page. Can never be read. You understand? If you understand that, which is logical, objective, if you realize that it cannot be read page by page, then you have only one issue, which is to look at it with eyes that I comprehend from the beginning to the end, at a glance. What does that imply? What does it imply to look at yourself which is the which is the story of mankind storia mankind to look at it you understand again this requires patience to look at it with a patient silent brain so that the book itself unfolds rapidly now, just a minute. When you have a map of Switzerland, with all the lakes and the mountains, all that, the beauty of the land, if you have a particular direction from Gstaad to go to Bern, you are only concerned with that route. You don't look at the rest of the map. That is, you have a particular direction, and if you have a particular direction, you neglect to look at the rest of the map. Please understand this. But if you have no direction, then you look all around. You have understood the thing? moment you have a motive which is, gives you a direction, then you are only looking in a particular direction.
But if you have no motive, but and also no direction, then you look at the whole map at a glance. Now, can you do this the same with one's self? Anger, jealousy, brutality, aggression, attachment, mm, all that. That's the whole map of yourself. Which requires quietness of the brain and no direction, then you see clearly the whole of it. You hear the whole tone of that history. And you have captured it immediately, the wholeness of it. The fifth extract is from the sixth talk in Ojai, 1949, titled Without Self-Knowledge There Can Be No Meditation. Meditation is the beginning of self-knowledge. Without self-knowledge you may sit in a corner, meditate on the masters, develop virtues, there are illusions. and have no meaning for the person who really wants to discover what is right meditation. Because without self-knowledge you will project yourself, self, an image, call it the master, and that becomes your object of devotion. For which you are willing to sacrifice, build, destroy. Therefore, through self-knowledge, and you can have, there is possibility of self-knowledge only as we examine our relationship to these things which I have explained. Then, it reveals the process of your own thinking. Therefore there is a clarity in your own being. And therefore there is the beginning and the understanding of self-knowledge. Without self-knowledge there can be no meditation. And without meditation there can be no self-knowledge. Not shutting yourself up in a corner, sitting in front of a picture, developing virtues, month by month, different virtues each month, green, purple, white and all the rest of it. Or going to churches and performing ceremonies. None of those things are meditation or really spiritual life. Spiritual life begins in the understanding of relationship, which is the beginning of self-knowledge. Now, when you have gone through that, 
and have abandoned all those processes which only reveal the self and its activities, then there is a possibility of the mind not only being superficially quiet, but inwardly quiet. Thus all, there is the cessation of all demands. There is no pursuit of sensation. There is no sense of becoming, myself becoming something, in the future or tomorrow. The master, the initiate, the pupil, the Buddha, the, you know, climbing the ladder of success, becoming something. All that has stopped, because all that is implied in the process of becoming. And that becomes, there is a cessation of becoming only when there is the understanding of what is. And the understanding of what is, is shown through self-knowledge, what one is exactly. And then, when there is the cessation of all desire, it can only come through self-knowledge. Then the mind is quiet. The cessation of desire cannot come through compulsion, through prayer, through devotion, through concentration. All these merely emphasize the conflict of desire and the opposite. And when there is a cessation of all these, then the mind is really still. Not only the superficial mind, the higher levels of the mind, but inwardly, deeply. Then only is it possible for it to receive that which is immeasurable. The understanding of all this is meditation, not just one part of it. Because if we do not know how to meditate, we will not know how to act. Action after all is self-knowledge, in relationship. And merely to shut yourself in a sacred room with incense burning, reading phrases of other people's meditations and their significance is utterly useless has no meaning. It's a marvelous escape. But to be aware of all this human activity, which is ourselves, the desire to be, to attain, the desire to conquer, the desire to have certain virtues, all emphasizing the me as important. In the now or in the future, this becoming of the me, being aware of all that in its totality is the beginning of self-knowledge and the beginning of meditation. Then you will see, if you are really aware of this, there comes a marvelous transformation. 
which isn't a verbal expression, which isn't a verbalization, merely repetition, which is sensation, but actual, actually, really, vigorously that takes place. A thing which cannot be named, which cannot be termed. And that is not the gift of the few, not the gift of the masters of few people have it. Because self-knowledge is possible for everybody. If you are willing to experiment, try. Don't have to join any society and read any book or be at the feet of any master. The self-knowledge liberates you from all that, from all that absurdity, stupidities of human inventions. And then only through self-knowledge and right meditation there is freedom. In that freedom there comes reality. But you cannot have reality through mental process. It must come to you. And it can only come to you when there is freedom from desire. The final extract this week is from the third question and answer meeting in Ojai. 1982, titled, Because We Don't Know Ourselves, We Destroy. Can we be a light to ourselves? Not dependent psychologically on anyone. Action that will not breed conflict regret, sorrow, pain inwardly. You understand? Can we understand ourselves so completely? Or is that not possible? We have never tried. We have tried everything else, we have gone to the moon, invented most marvellous machines, extraordinary surgical instruments. We have got, the brain has got extraordinary capacity, but that capacity we have never applied to ourselves. because we have always asked for someone else to help us. That's what you are doing here now. The speaker is not helping you, he is not teaching you. We are saying, look at yourself. We have got the capacity 
the energy, the sufficient intelligence to go into ourselves, look at ourselves, face ourselves, never escaping from ourselves. We've got all the energy to do that. Think what what energy is needed to go to the moon. You understand, sir? Enormous cooperative energy, drive. But apparently, when it comes to us, we kind of become slack. We wither. And we hope somebody will water, give us water that will bring us again to health. Nobody is going to give it to you. That's one absolute fact, irrefutable fact, because we have had leaders, we have had teachers, we have had saviours, we have had every kind of outside agency. Infinite information about ourselves from from others. And all that has not freed us from fear. And so, out of our laziness, out of our indifference, out of our callousness, we invent gods and all the rest of it. And the misfortune is, we are because we don't know ourselves. We're destroying our, destroying other human beings. We're destroying this marvelous earth. 